0: If you don't have a Bible, um, we are going to have the text on the screen here, so don't worry about that. Um, and turn in your Bible, or scroll in it as it were, to Exodus. Um, we are going to be in chapters 5 and 6, starting at 522. Uh, I'll give you a second to open there. We are, uh, we're in a series in Acts right now, but... Um, but taking a break from it this week to do what we call a Grace and Peace 101. This is a, a sermon in, in which the, the message is really one of the core parts of the theology of our church. Um, so let's pray before we begin. Lord God, we, uh, we pray that from your word we would hear you this morning. That it would not be simply my words, but that the Holy Spirit would use the scriptures, your inspired word to bring transformation to us, to encourage those of us who are discouraged, to set us free and break apart the bondage that's in, in, in every single one of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, um, I think that uh, a working definition of despair uh, could be the Cleveland Browns. Um, they're a football team, for those of you who don't know, and maybe maybe the most hopeless uh, sports franchise in any sport, anywhere on earth. I, I mean, I'm sure there's other competitors out there, but they'd have a hard time uh, beating the Cleveland Browns, and, and uh, I hope Maureen Smith is listening. She is a Browns fan, and bless her, because their fans really stick with them and love them, even though their fans are utterly hopeless about the Cleveland Browns. If, if you wanna know why, so, First of all, the Cleveland Browns are one of the original NFL franchises. Like, fr- before there was a, an NFL, actually, there was a Cleveland Browns. And they have never won the Super Bowl. Not once. I, in fact, they've only won one playoff game in their entire history, and that was a wild card game. It's not even a real playoff game. It's like a, play, a play-in game, and they were so excited to win it. It was sad. They... Um, have had four winning seasons in the last 26 years. Oh, forgot this one, it, they, they actually left Cleveland and became the Baltimore Ravens, won a couple of Super Bowls there, right? And for years, they, they, they didn't lose any games, which is good, because they didn't have any team. And that was like the bright spot for Cleveland Browns fans. Like, yeah, we didn't lose this year, we don't have a team, but we didn't lose. In, in 2015, a fan posted a video that like went viral in which he called, he was on his way like into the stadium where they play and he called it the Factory of Sadness. And that name has stuck and now the Cleveland Brown Stadium is known as the Factory of Sadness. Can you imagine if we were to go to like mile higher, hey, going to the Factory of Sadness today to cheer on the team that's going to break our hearts repeatedly. <laughs> uh, in 2017, they, they had a perfect season actually. They didn't win any games. They went uh and 16 so perfect season and uh and their fans threw a uh a parade because <laughs> they're like we got to celebrate something now this started to turn around because they got baker mayfield quarterback of the future he looked great and in uh in the 2020-21 season it was like a whole new team Everything changed. They went 11-5 and, and won that wild card game. And they said, well, that is just the first step towards our future glory. All of the despair of the past, worth it. We took our lumps. We stuck with the Browns. And now they're going to get us there. And then last season, they went 8-9. and nine. Baker Mayfield is a complete shell of his former self. They're moving on from him. Team on schedule imploded. And it really was just getting everyone's hopes up to once again uh, puncture them. And after a while, every fan, every player that goes there, if they go there with some optimism that maybe we can win some ball games, maybe we could really do something, that hope gets relentlessly and reliably beaten out of everybody. Because when you're on the Cleveland Browns or you root for the Cleveland Browns, despair is your identity. Okay, and, and speaking words of hope is useless because the same thing's going to happen again. Yeah, we'll get our hopes up. We'll start with optimism, and we're going to end in disappointment and despair. I want you to look with me. We're going we're to pick up the entire text, but I want you to look with me at Exodus chapter 6, just at verse 9. We're going to back up and get the rest of the text, but look with me at, at just verse 9 right now. said, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, But they did not listen to Moses. So Moses comes speaking words of promise from God to them and says they didn't listen to him. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. You could actually translate the Hebrew. They could not hear the words of Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Now, there are... Centuries of despair packed in that verse. You see, God's people at this time were slaves in Egypt and had been for centuries. Just try, like, imagine what it would have been like to be a slave in Egypt for generation upon generation. First of all, you are literally considered a lesser human being. There was no concept of human rights in the ancient world. The nobles were just a step, like the pharaoh was a step down from the gods and then the nobles, and all the way at the bottom of sort of this hierarchy of being, you had slaves. You were literally a lesser human being, and so had all of your ancestors, and so will all your descendants. That is the lot of all enslaved people. In another feature of ancient and modern slavery, to be honest is that for women you are not your own you could be claimed by any noble person for whatever they want and so maybe that's happened to you maybe that's happened to your loved one to your mother to your daughter to your sister you are voiceless and powerless as an enslaved person in the ancient world. There was no such thing as, like, a human rights movement. There was no ACLU or Helsinki Watch. No such thing, right? In this particular story, Pharaoh had tried to carry out a genocidal program of drowning the baby boys in the Nile. So these people had lived through that. And then there's just the... Regular day-in day-out grind of what it is to be you you get up when the before the sun comes up You go and break your back in fields you make bricks you go down to the mines Whatever it is for your whole life until your body gives out or you die and What do you own you own nothing? You actually are owned by someone that is where these people were There are centuries of despair in this one verse. And when Moses comes saying to them, God's going to get you out, they can't hear it because they've been so shaped by despair. There is something about relentless disappointment, a pattern repeating and repeating until it is simply what you expect. Despair deafens us to words of hope. Despair deafens us words of hope, when you have been struggling with the same issue for a decade, when you have felt worthless your entire life, when you have had the same addiction that you simply cannot kick and you've tried and you've tried and you've failed and you've failed, that shapes you to the point where someone comes along and saying, no, 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 it can be different. Try again, it can be different. Even, hey, look at the promises of God. It bounces right off. Despair prevents us from hearing words of hope. So if, if we find ourselves looking at a place in our soul, a place in our life, a problem in the world, for which we, we laugh when we hear words of hope, What do we do? How does God's word, how does the reality of God address that issue? Well, one of the first things that having your hopes disappointed does is it teaches you that you can't trust, right? So um, I didn't know it, but when I married Sharon, I had to pay a dowry. Not a financial dowry, but a dowry of labor to my father-in-law. And so it was basically every every disgusting, every dirty, every dangerous job around his house was mine to do for a time. And I don't mind doing it. You know, I will happily pay the dowry. Um, but one time he there was a, a windstorm that came and like knocked a screen off his chimney, and he's like, "Hey Matt, I need you to to get up on the roof and and climb up the chimney and put this screen back on top of the chimney." And I was like, "Okay, let's do this." And so we go, and, and I, I get up on the roof, and he hands me up an A-frame ladder. Right? You're supposed to use an adjustable on a pitched roof, because an A-frame will stick out like this and fall off. And I say, hey, uh, hey, Joe, do you have an adjustable? He's like, it's fine. He was a general contractor, and, and I thought he knows what he's doing. So I put the A-frame, and I'm like, that doesn't look fine. And as soon as I put it down, the, the ladder like commits suicide off the roof, just hurls itself off. And he actually hands it back to me. Like I'm like, no, no. And then there was another time he needed me to help him catch donkeys. This is true. And I said, well, Joe, how do we how do we catch the donkeys? He says, well, just go in there and grab them. And and I was like, really? He's like, yeah, it'll be fine. Um, And. So then I had the experience of like a 400-pound donkey running straight at me. I could catch it no more than I could catch like a car driving at me. And and that that went miserably too. And I learned not to believe him when he says it's fine. (laughs) Right? Now, he's a great guy otherwise. Just when he says it's fine and you're doing something dangerous, do not listen. We've all learned this lesson in life. Not to trust. Because the world is a broken place, because there are people who will take advantage of your trust, especially in places of authority. It really, really damages our ability to trust at all. It's like the who said, won't get fooled again. That is a really old school reference. All you young people are like, the who? Exactly, the who. God, that joke did not land. (laughs) For some of us, there was someone in your life that you trusted that was supposed to care for you and either abandoned you or abused you and when you have someone in your life that is supposed to be there that is supposed to protect and care for you when they do the opposite that 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 cauterizes the place in us that can trust. Some of you have been hurt by church leaders in the past. And it's really hard for you to be in a church. It's really hard for you to be able to listen to someone in my position. We learn not to get our hopes up. And when someone promises, it just makes us suspicious. So when we hear promises in Scripture, God is with you. God wants to bless you. God loves you. That, that walking with Christ leads to joy in the Lord. That you can conquer sin. That you can break patterns. When we hear these promises in Scripture, man, it bounces off. Why? We've been fooled. And we don't want to be fooled again. So why should we trust God? Look with me back at 522. 522. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did, you even, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Now, what's going on is God, God had sent Moses to deliver the Israelites. He had his first confrontation with Pharaoh. Instead of them being set free, Pharaoh made them make bricks without straw. He made their slavery harsher. And so Moses is saying, what gives here? Why why did you do this? Can I even trust you? But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am now this says Lord in English but see that caps all caps l-o-r-d the Hebrew word there is not Adonai which is Hebrew for Lord it's it's God's personal covenant name Yahweh it just gets translated as Lord because we don't want to put that in print for some reason so he says I he says God spoke to Moses and said to him I am Yahweh I appeared to Abraham to Isaac And to Jacob, as God Almighty, but by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Now, if you look at the book of Genesis where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are, the the name of God is in there. What he's saying is they didn't know me as fully as my people are going to know me. They knew me a little bit. But after I'm done with Pharaoh, you're truly going to understand what it means that Yahweh is your God. Making sense? He said, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. The land, oh my gosh, people are texting me right now. How did that happen? Uh, That's annoying. And I can't turn it off. Um, I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. So God is referring back to a promise from a thousand years ago. Hey, if I made a promise two weeks ago and haven't kept it, like I consider that like statue of limitations. You can't hold me to it. God, for a thousand years, has been planning to keep this promise to his people. He does not forget his promises. He is faithful. He's going to show them who he truly is, a God who keeps covenant. Also, God is empathetic. Look at verse 5. He says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning Of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Now, I have heard doesn't just mean, oh yeah, I'm aware. And remember doesn't mean I forgot. It means I've been tuned into this the whole time. And I feel the suffering of my people. So not only is he faithful to his promises, but he has great compassion on his people. This is our God too. The one who promises to us is Trustworthy. Think about this. Six hundred years there was, before Jesus came, there was a Messiah prophesied who was going to take care of the sin of the people, who was going to spread the gospel across the whole earth. Boy, I wish that had happened. It did. This is something we take for granted. that that 600 years before Jesus came, the Messiah was prophesied, and lo and behold, God sent him. And and the fact that you go all the way back to the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, and God says, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. How many of us are actual blood descendants of Abraham in here? Any other Jews? Me? (laughs) My kids? The rest of us are from other nations representing different continents. We are on another continent thousands of years later. We were impressed when Babe Ruth was like, I'm going to hit it over there. And he did, right? Like, that's a lot better, isn't it? We should be far more impressed. We should say, oh my gosh, God does keep his promises. He keeps them for the long term. Now, God has not promised us an easy life. That is not among the promises. But God has promised that he's with you. He's with you through hardship. He's with you through pain. That He will deliver you through it. He has not promised us that we'll never know death and pain and the decay of the body, but He has promised us eternal life on the other side of it. The promiser is trustworthy. Look, on a personal note, every time I have listened to words of hope from Scripture, or God speaking into my life somehow, instead of despair, I have never been sorry. Listen, I don't want to get oogie-boogie, but I do believe there is a Satan. And the enemy of God counsels us to despair. The enemy of God says, oh yeah, you can't trust anybody. You shouldn't do that. You've got to protect yourself from getting fooled again. And so we don't dare try again. We don't dare believe words of hope and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. When we refuse to believe the words of hope, when it just bounces off our heart, we get exactly, we, we get exactly the outcome that we fear. But there's another thing. When we, when we live with as many failures as we do, when we live in the brokenness of the world, when you've, had your trust betrayed, when you've been bitterly disappointed. It also distorts your view of yourself. Now um, I'm a huge fan of The Carpenters. And you do know the music of The Carpenters, you just don't realize it. Okay, No one smirk at me. They're a great band. You can't mess with their music, it is awesome. They did, they did uh, Close To You, they did Superstar, don't you remember you told me you loved me, baby. And Tommy boy they're crying anyway (laughs) their their music is awesome and I don't care what you guys think (laughs) and one of the things I truly love about the Carpenters is Karen Carpenter who was not only the the lead singer but the drummer and if you ever want your day brightened go go just Google Karen Carpenter doing a drum solo and it will change your life it is it is terrific she was really talented she was uh, you know very charismatic singer and and famously of course uh, she struggled um, she struggled badly with anorexia uh, that uh, she, she, she one time saw a picture of herself performing and she said oh I'm too big and she started exercising and eating less and less and, you know more and more extreme measures until she went from 120 pounds to 80 and you know I mean before she ever tried to lose weight she was beautiful and any of us would say she's beautiful but she looked in the mirror and saw someone else. She saw someone who was heavy and disgusting. Even when she was down to 80 pounds, she still saw that. She had a distorted view of herself. There are lies that we believe about ourselves and it gives despair power. So many of us believe that you are an orphan in the universe that there isn't a God who loves you, that there isn't a God who cares for you, and that you're worthless. And you need to work very hard to prove that you're worth something through your life achievements, through obtaining your ideal body image, through having the best family I could possibly have, through being the best at something. We we're we're constantly trying to prove to someone somewhere that we count that we matter. It's a lie that we believe about ourselves that we that we don't have value as you are. If you've been abandoned and rejected, you can take that label onto yourself. I have in my life. I'm a reject. I'm meant to I'm doomed. I'm doomed to to, to be alone. I'm doomed to always be distant from other people. If you've been abused, emotionally or physically or sexually, there's, it, it informs who you believe you are, that you are powerless, or that you deserve it. If you've come from A family where there's many generations of brokenness and heartache you can believe the lie that you're doomed to repeat it despair gives us a distorted view of ourselves now for Israel they understood themselves to be Egypt's slave workforce without dignity without value that they were things We see that the promise of God gives them a new identity. Look with me at Exodus 6, verse 6. Here is God's answer to Moses' question Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. He promises them what? You're not going to be a slave people. You're going to be a delivered people. I'm going to do it. I'm going to deliver you. You see that? And also, that they are are a beloved people. Look at verse 7. He says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God and you shall know that I am Yahweh your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now that that language of I will take you, does that sound familiar? We tend to say that at weddings, and that is appropriate. It is a marriage of God to a people. Now, to the ancient world, like ancient deities, they had exclusive clientele, okay? Okay. Like the, the ancient deities wanted the nobles as their worshipers. This was understood in that society, right? That, that you had to be a, of a certain class to worship Amun-Ra or whoever. What does Yahweh want? He wants the slave people. He wants this people, this oppressed people, to be his. What does that mean? It means that they're not a slave people. They're a beloved people. They're beloved by God. So the promise of God makes them a delivered people, a beloved people, and also inheritors. Look at verse 8. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. You know what they all heard? People, it, it, what these ancient slaves heard? They just heard, I'm going to get paid. It's, because back then, you didn't really do coins and money. You, wealth was land. And God just said, I am going to give you a plot of land to work. You're going to have a land of your own. He turns them from enslaved people with nothing into inheritors. That's what the promise does. The promise of God redefines the people. The promise of God redefines us as well. Now, we are not people who are enslaved to the Pharaoh of Egypt. We are not people who are going to get a plot of land in Israel, although I am set to inherit a little land in Israel, so that counts for me. It's true. But you've been delivered from something even greater. Jesus dying on the cross for us has delivered us from sin. His resurrection delivers us, will deliver us from death. God has promised to make you more into the image of Christ, to set you free from sin throughout your life. We have an inheritance in God's kingdom. God doesn't look at you and say, worthless, someone to be abandoned. God looks at you and says, someone worth dying for. In the promise of God, it redefines you and me. These labels that despair gives us, this distorted view of ourselves, it reminds us who we truly are, a delivered people, a beloved people, and inheritors. Now, something else that prevents us from hearing promise is just when you're dealing with a besetting problem, with heartbreak, with pain, with the same addiction, the same problem, the same issues in a marriage, The the problem just gets loud. I'll tell you what I mean. Um, several years ago, I had shoulder surgery because my body's awesome and never goes wrong. No, <laughs> so I had to have shoulder surgery, and, and I had an immobilizer on for like six weeks. And I had my first day of physical therapy, and my physical therapist um, was a former college basketball player, so she was pretty like pumped for it, she's like, all right, let's do PT. She's very good at the physical therapist, but very gung-ho. Let's get some PT going, all right, we're just gonna get the immobilizer off, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get you moving, gonna get to get mobile again, then we're gonna start strengthening. Sound good? Let's do this, right? So she takes the immobilizer off and she's like, all right, move that arm for me, just like this. And I was like, Ugh. like, drop of sweat, you yeah. She's like, okay, well, we're just gonna give it a little more. And she grabbed this right here and just pulled it that far. Have you guys ever, um, have you guys ever had a pain that can only be described as loud? Like bright light and like a rush of wind or something like that? I don't remember when I fell to the ground in the fetal position, but I found myself there and I was only vaguely aware of the physical therapist saying, you gotta get up and try it again, it's gonna get better. Right? It's like, come on, are you crying? like no sweating from my eyes (laughs) she was speaking the truth you have to try again for it to get better yeah it hurts now but you got to try again it'll get better I couldn't hear that I couldn't hear it because the pain was too loud when you are struggling financially right When that is just a problem area in your life and it's always a source of stress and you feel like you can never break out of getting behind again and again and again. The the promise that God takes care of you, not that you have all your wants, but that you'll have what you need. You can't hear that. All you can hear is, is, is the problem. When you hear the promise that God's a chain breaker and can deliver you out of your addiction, it's hard to hear that. Because you're, you're, the, the the pain, the shame, the guilt is so loud from failing once again. The promise that God is with you through whatever you go through, whatever heartbreak, when you are in that when you are in that heartbreak, it is hard to hear it. It's really hard for us. When despair is a steady diet, to be able to hear those words of promise, because the, the problem is just loud. So it's hard for us to experience joy of the Lord. It's it's hard for us to, to believe the promise that 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 we're gonna break out of these patterns, that God is gonna make us more into who we're meant to be, that God is with us, that even when we feel empty, even when we feel dry, that God is still there. Like we saw earlier the people of Israel, they couldn't hear it. The pain was too loud. Look at verse 9 again. So Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Now look at this next part. The people aren't hearing it. Moses isn't trusting it. What does God say in verse 10? So the Lord said to Moses, go in, Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips, means he had a speech impediment. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people Israel, of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So They don't believe God. They don't hear the promise. Moses doesn't want to say it. He feels like they've already failed. What does God say? Go again. We're good. Plan A is proceeding on schedule. God keeps his promise, even though they don't believe it. He does deliver them out. And guess what? He takes them through the wilderness. And he takes them all throughout their history, dragging, kicking, and screaming, fulfilling his promises without the cooperation of his people. You may have been told that in order for God's promises to work in your life, you have to believe. You have to have enough faith. You have to have near perfect faith for God to do any of this stuff. That's not what we see in Scripture. That's not what we see again and again. God fulfills his promises, even though his people, us included, are utterly clueless and barely believe them. That's good news. Yeah, you don't believe the promise. God's still going to keep it. Yeah, you don't don't see yourself ever changing. You don't see your marriage healing. You don't see yourself experiencing the joy of the Lord. God's still going to take you there. God is still going to bring you along. He's still going to fulfill his promises to you. You may be terrified of death and have very little uh, certainty that you will rise like Christ did. It's not going to stop God from raising you. He's still going to keep his promises. The promise is greater than the problem. Yes, the problem is loud, but God is greater. His promise is greater than the problem. Now that said, if we do believe the promise, if we are able to come to a place where we believe it now, before God fulfills it, we're going to experience a heck of a lot more peace, a heck of a lot more joy, we're going to do a much better job cooperating with God. But even when we struggle, when we struggle to hear God's promises, God will still keep it. What do we need to do? We need to let go of the bondage of despair. And we need to grab on to God's promises because the promiser is trustworthy, the promise redefines us, and the promise is greater than the problem. Despair is a very effective shackle. It will hold you in place. If you believe that nothing can ever change, nothing ever will. If you believe that you can't experience the joy of the Lord, that is what is going to happen. If you believe there is no hope for you, for your family, for your marriage, for your friendships, whatever it is, that is what's going to happen. We need to let go of that bondage. Doesn't it need to let go of us? Here's the secret about despair, guys. You hold it. It doesn't hold you. There was once a Simpsons episode where Homer Simpson got both hands trapped inside of vending machines. I think one was a candy machine, the other was invisible soda. Hey, Abe, is that right? Right. He's like, ooh, invisible soda. (laughs) And he he got both of his arms trapped in the vending machines, and they're trying to free him throughout the episode. There's a rescue crew there. They're turning on a table saw. They're like, "Uh, Mr. Simpson, we have to cut your arms off to get you free. We can't do anything else. He's like, they'll grow back. They're like, sure. (laughs) And as the, the blade is about to touch his arm and cut his arm off, they say, sir, are you simply holding on to the can? He says, your point is... Yes, he was held in place, but he was holding on to it. It wasn't holding on to him. Despair is the same way. But we need something else to grab onto. We are going to grab onto something. We need to grab on to God's promises. How do we do that? What's the, what are the practical steps to actively letting go of our despair and grabbing on to the promise? Well, first of all, we've got to make space for grabbing hold of the promises. We fill up our days, don't we? We fill them up with with work, y'all work. I know you do. You work a lot of hours. But besides that, we fill it up with busy. We fill it up with errands, we fill it up with this, we fill it up with that, and then the rest we fill up with noise, distraction and junk. <laughs> you know? I understand you have to run errands and you have to go do your job. What if we backed off some of the noise, distractions and junk? Uh, Wordle's fun. <laughs> I'm addicted to it. But if if the noise distractions and junk are crowding out what time we have to hear God's promises, to open up the Word, to open up a devotional, to listen to Scripture, to some way, somehow, hear the promises of God on the daily because you hear despair on the daily. You experience brokenness every day, don't you? You need the promises every day. We also need to repent. You guys... Like, this is not something to, like, guilt us, you understand? But when we are like, oh, man, God can't do that in my life. <laughs> do you realize that that is sin? That that is believing a lie about God? We don't repent so that we can feel bad and feel better. That's not the idea. Repentance is letting go of the bondage. It's, it's being 100% honest before God, saying, God, I don't believe you could break this addiction in my life. I don't believe you could break this stronghold. I, this, this is true. I'm going to confess this to you. Forgive me. Let me let go of it. Make me more like Christ so that I believe your promises. Repentance isn't, isn't like, you know, beat yourself. It's letting go of bondage. It's, it's grabbing on to the promise. And also, at, at times, it requires some practical action. If we want to let go of despair and grab onto God's promises, there, there are steps to take. You're bound by a secret shame. You know how to break that? You find someone you trust. You tell them. You confess. Guys, it is like magic. If you're dealing with addiction of some kind, community, and bringing daylight to that, confessing it is like magic. Magic. God works through his people. If you are in an abusive situation, it is not enough to simply say, well, God, fix it. You may need to take the practical step of getting out of it and needing support and bringing that to community. The promiser is trustworthy. Trustworthy. The promise redefines us, and it is greater than the problem. We need to let go of bondage and grab on to God's promises. Please pray with me. Lord, set us free.